You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 1, Episode 26. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there, and welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, coming to you from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. This episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast is just a little bit different. Normally, I will invite uh, guests from across the country who have particular expertise in certain areas of immigration law to share insight and knowledge and, and basically to discuss this crazy world of immigration law policy and practice. And so with each of these wonderful guests that we bring on, I uh, drill right down into a very narrow aspect of Canadian immigration for the benefit of the listeners. However, in recent discussions with one of our young immigration lawyers, Will Tao, who practices with the law firm of Larley Rosenberg in Vancouver, he recommended that we take a little different approach. And he said, well, I don't know if I have anything to add from the perspective of, of a, you know, being a, an expert in any one area. But he said, let's talk about life as an immigration lawyer. And in particular, focus it on young lawyers who are considering entering the practice. And I thought to myself, that's awesome. That's a great idea. There's many um, associate lawyers probably out there who are considering practicing immigration law, but really don't have any clue what it entails, or for that matter, why it's an awesome area to practice in. So I reached out to Will, and uh, we had an awesome interview, and I talked about his experience with him, and uh, he shared some insight on why he loves immigration law, why, why he's pursued it. But he also shares some of the challenges uh, associated with it. We talked a little bit about some of the skill sets and, you know, individual makeup that a person really needs to have in order to be successful in this practice of, of, of law. But ultimately, it was just a wonderful opportunity uh, to shift gears a little bit from the traditional norm within this podcast and uh, to address specifically life as an associate immigration lawyer or a young immigration lawyer just cutting his teeth in the practice of immigration law. Will did a fantastic job. His story was wonderful. And uh, it's interesting. He mentioned um, that one of the things he focused on was getting into um, a corporate practice, a corporate immigration practice, largely as a result of uh, one of the TV shows called Suits, which is all about big firm practice. And for some of us who started in, in large law firms, there's definitely a draw to that. And it's a, you know, it's a positive experience. I had nothing but good things to say about my experience with a large national law firm. However, the way Will uh, describes his experience entering into the general practice of immigration law I think it can rival any episode from Suits. So there's my plug for Will. He did a great job. And uh, without any further ado, let's jump into that interview with Will Tao. All right. I am here with Will Tao, a Canadian immigration lawyer practicing with the well-respected law firm of Larley Rosenberg in Vancouver, British Columbia. How are you, Will? 
I'm doing well. And how about yourself? Really good. It's great to have you here on the podcast. Excellent. Really looking forward to it. Well, this podcast, we're going to do things just a little bit different than we have in previous episodes. Um, the real purpose behind this one, and like I said uh, in some previous podcasts, it's mine. I can do whatever I want. So we're going to shift gears here a little bit. And uh, the purpose behind this one is actually to inspire other young lawyers to consider the practice of immigration law. Now, in a prior conversation that I had with Will here, he told me about an experience he had speaking with a well-known Bay Street lawyer before he began searching for summer jobs. And uh, she pegged it at a 0% chance that he could do immigration before five years call. And so, uh, yeah, so that must have been pretty inspiring. Hey, Will? Uh, yeah, I guess that whole period, it was right when Suits became very popular as a TV show. Yeah. Um, so we, I guess everybody was just making calls to Bay Street at that time, sort of forgetting the real purpose of entering law school. So, um, yeah, it was definitely one of those calls where it's like, I, I want to do immigration. I want to do corporate immigration. And, and, and you know, it was uh, it's kind of depressing to hear the news. But thankfully, I've been able to, to find out that's not necessarily true. Oh, no, it is absolutely 100% not true. And in fact, uh, if that was the case for me, and uh, my initiation uh, working with one of the national firms in Calgary, boy, um, yeah, I don't know where I'd be right now because I was dabbling in immigration even as an articling student. Um, so yeah, it's definitely not true. So the purpose of this podcast and uh, one of the reasons I wanted to get Will on is that he is a young lawyer just cutting his teeth in the wonderful, crazy world of immigration law. And so I thought it'd be really fun to get his perspective on what it's been like to share some experiences and and really delve into the life. So if anyone's wondering, well, hey, I'd like to practice immigration law. I wonder what it's like. Will is going to be our test subject and we're going to dissect his experience and get a whole bunch of information from him so that we can inspire other young lawyers to uh, to join this absolutely top, most um, noble component to any law um, law career the practice of immigration law. Now, before we get into uh, a little bit more of the question side of things, I thought it would be good for our listeners to introduce you a little bit, Will. How does that sound? Sounds good. Now, uh, Will specializes in complex immigration and citizenship refusals, reconsideration requests when things just don't go right, uh, appeals, admissibility hearings, detention reviews, and judicial reviews of administrative decisions. He's frequently contacted by clients and their immigration representatives after their initial applications are refused. So I can tell you in our world today, that happens quite commonly. And uh, he also in indicates here uh, that um, he successfully assisted a number of clients on several challenging high-profile cases involving employers and individuals alike. So I'm going to jump in right here. So... Tell me about one of these these cases that you were involved in. Oh, it's hard to exactly pick one to start, but um, I think recently I'd like to talk about um, one case, uh, a set of reconsideration cases that I've done recently. Um, and I realized through the introduction of Express Entry, 
Um, and the essentially because there's a whole backlog of, of, of old applications in the paper-based system, I started to see a bunch of refusals coming in from the old backlog. So these are files that were sitting in the coffers of IRCC for a year or two years, little communication between applicant and uh, IRCC. And then suddenly they there would be refusals. There'd be an information request uh, with something due a week or two weeks later and then a quick refusal. Um, so it was interesting recently that I've dealt with uh, a couple cases where we where we got these refusals uh, of decisions, um, and you know simultaneously we we saw a bit of an opening up in the reconsideration law. There was a a recent federal court case that um, really assisted applicants in reconsideration. So I've been able to successfully go in there for clients and say, listen, um, you know, IRCC uh, wasn't exactly procedurally fair in a process or. Um, you know, in their inf in their information request, they, they 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 wanted an employer letter, but they didn't specify which employer letter. Um, or in in one case, you know, in terms of emails missing or received, uh, these are the type of cases that I, I really enjoy because the applicants come to us at the lowest of lows, and then we we manage to turn it around to the point where they're re reopened and, and and now successfully landing as PRs. That is awesome. And, you know, many, um, I'll classify them as dabbling lawyers. What happens is these individuals come to them and uh, all they really knew, know how to do is submit an application. And so when it's refused, they, they don't have a clue to resolve it. And people come to these lawyers and sometimes their lawyers are practicing in a number of different areas. And, and um, you know, individuals come to them and they say, well, sorry, there's really nothing that we can do to help you. Uh, you're probably going to have to start singing, you know, happy trails and, and catch a flight home. But I think it's really cool when I talk to lawyers uh, who practice in, in the areas that, that you guys do there at Lurley Rosenberg, where you've got individuals who um, have nowhere else to turn. They're completely at their last faint hope of, of being able to stay and uh, you're able to help them. So how does that feel? It's very rewarding, and I think that um, when I when I look back on the reasons I pursued immigration law in the first place, you know, I, I've never been someone driven by, you know, the size of my paycheck at the end of the day. Um, in fact, I you know one of the one of my hits probably as a lawyer is I, I don't keep track of my of my you know month end you know until the month shh, actually shh, ends. You're not supposed so. to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, build, I count my hours and I, and I build, you know, I, I still take the money in, but I, I don't, I don't take a step and say like, okay, this week, you know, week one, how much money have I paid? <laughs> yeah. to? Or, and, or even the case of, you know, corporate or business immigrate, business uh, lawyers, you know, it's driven by the size of the deal, you know, when, when they're on their bios, you're seeing, okay, you know, we did a deal worth 3 million, 4 million, 5 million, you know, for someone who grew up in, in, Van, in Vancouver in a very working class family, these, these amounts of money really don't really mean much to me, right? But mm -hmm. to see an individual coming to you with their kids, you know, in tears because of something that's happened. And a lot of times it's out of their control. It could be an error or it could be, you know, just like you said, you alluded to uh, poor previous counsel not knowing what they were doing and then being able to give them some hope and turning the thing, turning the boat around uh, and, and, and seeing them land here as PRs. I think that's just the ultimate, um, that, 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 that marks a good day for me when I see a client that, that turned from, you know, a rejected application to landing as a PR. Yeah, that's awesome. And clients are so genuinely appreciative of what you do when you're able to get those results. And I think a lot of us immigration practitioners, one of the reasons we like this area so much is just the satisfaction we get. You know, it's not like corporate, uh, you know, mergers and acquisitions or, or, you know, business law that's just 
dry and pushing papers. There's no real human interaction and it's not litigation where there's just two losers and, you know, with, with all deference to <laughs> lawyers who practice in those areas, you know, the reality is we're helping people to get a result that maybe they couldn't get on their own and it truly makes a difference in their lives. So I, you know, I, I agree a hundred percent. It's, you know, taking this client focused approach is most definitely the, the, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the only way to practice in this field. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Very cool. So I see here that prior to joining, um, uh, your current firm, you studied, you studied international relations and history at UBC, mm-hmm. uh, with a focus on migration history. And then, yep. before, and then before attending, um, the university of Ottawa for law, that's what you did before you went to onto the university of Ottawa to attend law school. Mm-hmm. And so, was immigration kind of always something that you had an interest in? I think ever since undergraduate, um, you know, uh, through most of my life before undergraduate, and this would be would have been the start of my second year, I was uh, I was very rejecting of my of my immigrant background. I mean, I'm myself. I'm a product of immigrants. Um, I'm a, I was born in Canada, but my parents are from mainland China. Came during Expo '86 and and settled here and was able to were able to stay because of Tiananmen. Um, during that period of time, right? Um, but you know, uh, it, it, for 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 me, in in undergrad, being able to learn hi- migration history from a professor named Dr. Henry Yu, who's a mentor of mine and still is today, um, and and teaching teaching myself about my background uh, as a Chinese Canadian and and the, and my roots in this country. Before, I would always be trying to you know reject my roots or you know when I was in high school eating my eating my lunches, I'd always get the comments, you know, what are you eating? This looks really foreign and bizarre. Um, this is the reality I grew up in. So to, to, to think of myself as an immigrant or even related to the word immigrant didn't really occur until I started studying immigration and started loving my cultural heritage and, and, and really craving the, the, the Chinese nature, the, the Chinese background that I had previously hated. So that and, and some experiences in legal clinics as an undergrad, I was a volunteer in, in one clinic in particular where uh, we were helping, I was helping a Nigerian woman who could barely walk. Uh, I think I was going to uh, a clinic for her. It was a pro bono clinic. Um, and just talking to her about the challenges she was facing and in, 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 in learning. And it, it was only, the, it, was a, it was an issue where she was being sued um, by someone who had actually crashed into her. Uh, but because she didn't know how to deal with the situation, she didn't take proper notes and everything, and suddenly she was being sued by the person who crashed into her. Um, but that interaction with her and learning about her background and walking with her along the streets of Vancouver, uh, while she, you know, and, and, and connecting her with my with my with my own parents, really just made me feel toward feel feel compassionate towards the the struggles of new immigrants, and that sort of inspired a, a career in immigration law. Very cool, very cool. Now, in your final year, you actually went uh, back to China for a semester. Mm-hmm. And so what did you do there? So in, I, I went on exchange in, in, in Chongqing. Um, it was a, after a couple of years at Ottawa U. U. Um, they were good years at Ottawa U. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I had the, the most amazing classmates ever. But I, I think at that stage, I was just, again, the, the, the urge for China. Um, after my first year summer, I, I had gotten a summer job at, uh, at a pharmaceutical company in China, doing in-house stuff there. Um, and, and then, you know, eventually I, I got a summer job at Hayden Blakey. I did a summer there, but there was still something missing, something about the law school experience and, and me needing to go international. Uh, so I went to Chongqing. I, I studied uh, international law there um, at uh, the Southwest University of Political Science and Law, 
Um, I also managed to intern for a Chinese law firm there, a domestic Chinese law firm, which was an absolutely cool experience seeing the way that law is done in China. It really opens my eyes to, you know, uh, why there's so many cultural differences in, in the practice and why oftentimes my, my Chinese clients are a little, uh, you know, you have, to, you have to coach them a bit on Canadian law and the differences because they're so used to the way things are done there, which oftentimes is, you know, uh, a quick phone call or a few, a few rimming bee in the, in, in the pockets of individuals. Um, <laughs> so, so that was great. And I think the best part of it for me, and I, I hate, you know, it's, uh, it was meeting my fiance there. Um, so ah. I, <laughs> the first week there, I, it wasn't, I wasn't there purposely to, to meet a, uh, my fiance, but, uh, you know, it happened to a weekend. I, I met my fiance and now she's here in Canada as an international student. Um, so I'm very much, you know, immigration is not only just what I practice for my clients, but, you know, every day living with a, an immigrant, um, an international student and soon to be permanent resident, um, you really get to know what kind of issues are on their mind and what kind of challenges and 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 their mental state through this process. And it and you know I think from an outside perspective you can only begin to appreciate it. In your consultations you may only touch on it, but when you really live next to it and see the struggles and see the the you know why am I here? Am I why am I giving giving up all these opportunities? Um, is this really a land of opportunity? All these things uh, really affect the way that I, I handle my clients now because I've seen the experience. Yeah, that's I I cannot agree more. Um, when I was, you know, I grew up on a, a pretty remote farm <laughs> where we had our own gardens and we raised our own food and had our chickens and everything else. And uh, that's kind of the environment, a very sheltered environment that I lived in. And uh, we definitely didn't have a lot. But when I was uh, when I was 19, I trekked off for a mission um, for my church to Portugal, and it was the most amazing experience because it gave me a whole new perspective of how good I really had it back at home, and it it gave me a whole lot more compassion. And uh, you know, just leaving your own country and getting an exposure to to a different one, whether you know whether you yourself have come from, you know, from from immigrant roots or whether you have, you know, in, with respect to Canada, been entrenched here for years and generations and generations. And uh, the, the ability to just step outside of your own country and just take a look at the world and what's out there, it sure helps you to appreciate what you have. And so when you have people who are willing to do, you know, they're willing to, to work in just the, the toughest jobs when they are highly, highly educated in their own country to come here to Canada and work in tough jobs and, and do things that, you know, Canadians don't want to do. Mm-hmm. to have their opportunity it just you can just see you know what a contribution they're going to make long term and it's just cool to be a part of it and help uh, people to facilitate that absolutely and and i think some of the lessons too like the little cultural lessons picked up for instance when i'm in when i was in china interning um, you know, anybody could really intern for any company there without getting a, a special work permit. I mean, if you do take money under the table, then you start having to, or not under the table, you wouldn't do that. But if, if, if they paid you... Um, <laughs> I'm not I'm not pressing that at all. Not pressing that at all. Okay. Well, it's essentially, well, if they do remunerate you and it's on the record in China, then you need to get a work permit. And, you know, similar concept in Korea. If you're volunteering at some, at some company or not, um, you know, and you don't need a work permit. So... You know, just recently I was in detention. I was helping a client in detention review. We managed to get her out uh, on on a bond. Um, but you know, just seeing their reaction to the fact, like, whoa! I was just helping my sister who runs a restaurant, 
you know, doing a few things. Um, you know, these, these things are the concept of what work is and the concept of, you know, uh, what is legal, what is illegal, the concept of, of law, even of a contract. Uh, of you know, uh, so one of the most common things I get with my international clients, some, especially ones from mainland China, there's like you know what, just sign the just sign the agreement for me, just just draft it, I'll sign it. Um, but to to sort of inform them that you know, unfortunately, this country, or fortunately, actually, um, you can't just sign something and and not know what you're signing, and that's what leads most people to the problems that they get into, right? And be it with an immigration form that they didn't see, or or a a, a document that they don't know the contents of, and they're just signing. So I, I make it especially clear to my international clients that there there is a business context, there's a legal context in Canada, and we have to, you know, learn to follow it, especially when you're in immigration procedures. Hmm. You know, that is, that's actually unbelievable insight. I was not aware of that at all in terms of the, these concepts of, of work. And so it's completely easy now for me to see how people can slip into this, you know, problem of unauthorized work when they're doing things in their home country that are not even considered to be that. Or even to take it one step further, they've got people who are foreigners in their country who are, you know, working and volunteering, um, but it's not considered to be official work for immigration purposes. And then to come here and think, well, that's probably how it is in, in every country. And then to have uh, an unfortunate <laughs> circumstance of a CBSA officer come knocking and, <laughs> and yeah. detain you for immigration, uh, you know, violations. So that's, that's yeah. really, I hadn't really thought of that. That's great insight. Yeah, no, it's and I, I detention reviews are one of those things where it's it's very difficult because oftentimes when you see them, it's already a little too late. You know, the end the end result may be that they're going to have to leave Canada on on some sort of removal order, but you know the opportunity to use that to to educate them and to bring the family together and to you know it's it, it's heartbreaking to be behind CBSA cells and and seeing family members see you know these people some of these individuals have never even you know or most of them that that I deal with have never been in prison in their lives or even you know come anywhere close to 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 stomping on government authority and now they're coming into the to, to the hearing room the immigration division hearing room with with cuffs on their hands and the rest of their family member in the audience watching them so it's you know, I've seen the, the type of emotions, tears, you know, individuals who, who are contemplating suicide even. And, and that's when, when you when you start helping individuals in, in that situation, I think you, you really increase your compassion. And, and you're like, you know what, this is what why I'm doing this every day, because I, I see tangibly that once individuals are educated and once individuals know about the laws and when individuals understand what's going on, just the basic understanding of go, what's going on, you know, sometimes that's even more important to them than the end outcome of whether something is successful or not, right? You know, as I, as I listen to you talk about your experiences, and, and so you've got how many, like, wh- how long have you been practicing immigration law? Uh, <laughs> this is an embarrassing question. No, it's beginning. not embarrassing at all. This is important. I'm, I'm in the beginning of my, of my second year as a full-time lawyer. So, right. So um, you've got, so you've, essentially, you've got a little over one year of yeah. Canadian immigration law experience. And I, I point that out for a reason, because... You know, when I started, I, I started from scratch. You know, it wasn't like I had a, a, a ton of experience. Everybody starts from the bottom. But mm-hmm. the great leveler, Will, and this is something I've learned, is that you care. And when you care about the clients that you represent, it doesn't matter whether you have 25 years of experience or six months. You will go to whatever lengths are necessary 
to, to do the research you need to do, to tap into the resources you need to do to help people. And if it means you stay late at night to get it done or not even sleeping the night before, you do whatever you can for your clients. And so that's something that I want to emphasize with any new lawyers who are looking at getting into this practice. Don't do it unless it's something you're passionate about and, and you truly, genuinely care about the well-being of your clients. Absolutely. Because it's so easy as a lawyer to become just jaded and overwhelmed. Let, you know, let's face it, we take upon us the stress of, of all of our clients. And especially when we're filing applications and doing that more transactional side, they're paying us so that they don't have to stress about whether it's right or wrong. Uh-huh. But you know, when you're talking about stories of, of people in situations through many circumstances are, are of no fault of their own, when you're able to help them, uh, I can tell you, boy, that's, that's what practicing immigration law is all about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I totally agree. And it, it doesn't necessarily even have to be an attention review or a judicial review, even submitting an application or, you know, nothing makes me feel better than an email from a client saying like, thank God we hired you because, um, you know, I don't know how an individual could do this by themselves. Um, and, and even just little things like that. And I, and I, and as a young lawyer, um, I know this might be something we're going to delve into a little more moving mm-hmm. forward. But as a young lawyer, I think my value add right now, you know, compared to some of the older lawyers who may have, you know, family commitments who, who, who may have, you know, other board commitments and other things where they, where they, where they for significant amounts of their time, have to be dra- dragged away from the practice. I value myself as truth, truthfully being on call 24 hours for my clients. Um, mm. and, it, and, you know, it does, it is stressing on my own life. And, it, you know, it's for the sometimes where I, I do have to tell my client, okay, you know what, I'll have to get to this tomorrow morning. But in general, I'm pretty good about getting back to clients within a, within a very, very short amount of time and making sure they're always in the know. So that's CCing them on on all correspondence. Um, anything that happens, I, I let them know right away because I think, and again, I repeat this point, a lot of them, you know, they understand that at the end of the day, an immigration, an independent decision maker has, who has often has discretion, will be making decisions on their applications. But to get to a point, to get to that point, um, they want to know the process. They want to be engaged in the process. They want to, they want to know, you know, this is the process of becoming Canadian. Many of them are e- so eager to, to, to draft parts of their own letters and, and take, take, take really ownership over their own file because they care about their own file and their own well-being in Canada. And you're, you know, you're there to inspire them and to, and to coach them and, and guide them through the process, right? Um, so, you know, I, I really value that part of my, of my, of my job being that, that hand, like you were mentioning, to, to, to help them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I think it's awesome what you're doing. And um, let's let's talk a little bit about the perspective of, of jumping into this practice, at least from, you know, from the standpoint of a young lawyer. So there's obviously, we've talked a lot about the benefits, you know, the, the rewards, the personal satisfaction, like we're truly making a contribution and, and uh, uh, we're having a positive effect in the lives of the clients that we represent. But there's challenges too. So, you know, as, as just starting out, cutting your teeth, you know, often being thrown right into the, the fire, what are some of the challenges that a young lawyer, a new lawyer who's looking at practicing immigration are going to face? Obviously, well, from the perspective of that Bay Street lawyer, it's so difficult and impossible to do. You're going to be negligent if you even attempt to practice it until you've been working under me for five years. Basically, that's what, you know, they say. So how has it been for you? Um... 
it's it, it has been challenging. I, I think we have to admit, you know, coming out of uh, law school and, and going through the process is, uh, you know, throughout your, your your career, either as a student or up to now, many of us, you know, we haven't had too many years of work experience. For myself, you know, I, I went straight through school. Uh, in school, you know, your grades were decent. Even in law school, you know, at, at, at worst, you know, at exam time, you get back something with, you know, a couple lines on it. There, there were, there were, the teacher had 200 things to mark anyway. So, you know, you'd maybe get your two, two comments here or there. Um, but I think the, to, to, to be humbled in this profession and, and to, to work with people who've done this for so many years, my mentors, um, and, and get some of your early stuff just ripped apart. I think as an articling student, um, you, 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 you kind of come in with a bit of confidence and swagger. You know, I got an article, I'm an article student now. I'm at a really great firm. You know, here is this. You know, I have some contacts. I can do business development. But then, you know, you get your first uh, draft back that you're helping with a lawyer and it's full of red marks, right? Um, but then you, they explain to you, like, if, it, if you put this word in, this is the consequences, right? Or if you, if you forget this one check mark on this form or one signature, uh, this is what's going to happen to your application. Um, the, the level of exactness in immigration can't be understated. Um, and it's something I still struggle with every day. We're, in a, we're, it, it, we're almost in the, in the auditing business in, in a sense. Um, we need to audit everything. One detail missed could, could change an application from being a yes to a no or, or could lead to misrepresentation even. And we've seen that in several files that we're helping fix up now where it's, you know, they, they, uh, one table, one, one, one uh, you know, uh, Schedule A form that's missing one date, and that date is now in, in question, right? So uh, it, learning to have that level of attention to detail is, is one of the major challenges, I would say. Yeah, I, I will agree 100%. You've hit the nail right on the head. You know, in the past, immigration was, you know, it was a nice area to practice in. Essentially, uh, because it was so nice, um, we obviously have, uh, you know, lots of, um, like I keep call, calling them dabbling lawyers, but whatever they are, dabbling lawyers who figure they can just read the website and it's all good. And, and then immigration, um, some immigration consultants, like there's some really good ones out there and there's some really crappy ones out there too. Just like, I guess, just like lawyers, but essentially in the previous world before you joined it, there was a time when you could submit an application and not get it right. And, uh, immigration would tell you what you needed to update. They wouldn't reject it. They'd give you a deficiency letter and so there was a whole uh, underground market of people providing immigration services for a fee um, who really didn't know what the heck they were doing. And ultimately, they'd file the application, and then they'd get the deficiency letter back, and then they'd correct it and send the information back, and the client wouldn't know the better. Well, now, the consequences of one little thing, like you have so very clearly identified, can be the difference in realizing your dream of staying in Canada or being on a plane flying home. And so when the government, our dear IRCC, indicates that you don't need to hire a lawyer or a representative, um, the reality is um, people that do tackle it on their own, well, you need to be cautious. And I'll just leave it at that. Uh All right. So as a new lawyer, are you a little bit worried about maybe pigeonholing yourself into one area? It's something that I, I think about often. Um, you know, it's it's a huge blessing to be in an area where, where you know, I, I can say, you know, I'm not dabbling. I'm still learning. I think we're always still learning, especially with, with the way the pace at which immigration changes and, and the, the factors updates every week cause that we need to, you know, update ourselves on. Um, 
I think right now it's a blessing that I'm practicing in one area, um, and I foresee myself doing this uh, for a very, very long time. Uh, again, because I, I really genuinely care for for the for the work. Um, are there other areas that I'd like to get some expertise in? Um, yes, you know, I, I think it just being an immigration lawyer, lawyer doesn't uh, stop you from taking on other uh, areas. And I, and in fact, I have a colleague next door, uh, Darren Penner, who's very, very successful at, um, you know, he, he, he came from a commercial, corporate commercial background. He does wills, and he's managed to incorporate these things into his own practice as well. Um, so for several of his immigration clients, he can also help them with wills. Um, and, you know, as wills can be very important on, on, on several applications, it's be a sponsorship uh, application or, or something of that nature. Um, but I think that immigration is great to get clients to the door and, and to have that initial interaction with. And generally, I mean, immigration lawyers are a great referral source. Uh, we, 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 I think I always get a client who, who's like, okay, I, I started with immigration, but I need business law advice, I need this law advice. And I think just from referring clients to different areas, you get to learn a bit about their, those areas. And, and somewhere down the road, once I have more time, just like uh, you're doing with your, with your podcast, I hope to expand my knowledge into different areas of the law. Hmm. You know, that's, that is interesting. One of my first experiences when I uh, started attending the Canadian Bar Association meetings in, in Calgary, our, our local section, I met a lawyer by the name of Alice Ho. And I don't know if Alice listens to my podcast or not, but she practices uh, immigration and she also has a, a fairly large business in, in real estate. And uh, she started as an immigration lawyer. And she said over time, the clients that she brought in then had other needs. And they had needs with business, setting up companies, things like that, purchasing homes. And so she indicated at least a couple of years ago that her business and, you know, the, the more real estate kind of transactional, uh, that type of practice had actually grown and surpassed her immigration. And so there's definitely an evolution, isn't there? So you're just because you start with immigration, you become really knowledgeable and develop a level of expertise in that area doesn't mean that, uh, you know, that you can't parlay that into other areas too, if, if you're, you know, so desire, because ultimately people change careers how many times in their lives. And I think even within law, the ability to, to adapt and, and try different things yeah. is, is healthy and, and good. And so huh, that's very cool. Okay. So from what you've told us previously, we know that one of the more important skill sets a young lawyer has to have if they want to practice in this area is attention to detail, obviously as a result of the consequences of, of getting things wrong. But are there other skill sets that you think are, are important? Mm -hmm. I, I would say that patience is, is very important too. I think uh, for most of us in our lives, particularly in this modern day when we have cell phones and emails going off all the time and we expect that instantaneous response, um, we have to learn to be very patient about the process. We're dealing with uh, a government bureaucracy. We're dealing with backlogs. We're dealing with processing in, 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 uh, in an arena where we don't often know some of the processes that are going on behind the scenes. Um, even the very process of atipping to try and figure out what's going on in a file, you know, you have to wait the, the 30 days minimum, often more, to get back that result. Um, and that's one of the things I, th I think that's very important too is it, it, we're, we are in the client service business too and we have to let our clients know uh, and temper their expectations in, 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 the, in the front end to be like, you know, we can't guarantee either A, the result or B, the time it's going to take to get to the result. But what I can guarantee you is I'm going to be with you every step of the way, even if it requires me to take a hit on the fee or, or, or work extra time on it. Um, but patience on your end as a practitioner and on, um, 
and, and making sure the client is aware of, of, the, of the timelines and, 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 and things are very, very important, I, I'd say. Yeah, I, I would rank that up there probably as high as anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let me think if there's anything else that I would uh, add to the list that I've learned. Um, again, organization, I think it goes, it goes hand in hand with uh, attention to detail. Um, but um, especially, you know, I, I've sort of been thrown into the point where I, I, I started right away taking on my own files and having my own clients. It's, if I was at a bigger firm um, doing, uh, you know, as a junior associate at a, at a large pastry firm, for example, I'd probably be, you know, shadowing or, or, or working, within a, working with a senior associate or working with a partner and doing just a portion. And in terms of file organization, it'd be a paralegal who'd generally be responsible for that. And, 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 and I wouldn't have to worry too much about that. Right now, I have, um, I think, about 60 open active files. And, 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 and to manage all of those and the timelines and, and the papers and the digital files, the notes to drafts, um, it can get overwhelming. So I think, you know, having good organizational st structures in place, having a great communication skills um, with, with, your, with your assistants and, and, and with yourself too, you know, leaving, leaving, bring forward notes at appropriate times because the worst thing is missing a deadline. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> the, I, I'm lucky to the point where I haven't, you know, seriously missed a deadline to the point where I couldn't get back. I mean, I, from, from what I hear, every, every lawyer has gone through one of those cases. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, it, and, it, and it just makes them feel miserable. Um, the closest I've come to one is, you know, the, I was late on, a, um, on an applicant's record uh, judicial review because I miscalculated the, 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 the period wrong, right? Yeah. Uh, so statutorily, because, because the, the, um, the Rule 9 reasons came so much later than the date that was on the letter, I incorrectly assumed I had 30 more days from that day uh, without applying a, a particular rule that said I didn't. Um, so, you know, I file it and I'm, you know, this is a great applicant's record. I'm, I'm totally going to get uh, leave on this. Uh, and then I get a call from the federal court being like, uh, what is this? Like <laughs> the time is late, right? Um, but you know what? Uh, we were very thankful. We were very fortunate to the fact that I was able to communicate immediately with DOJ and, and, and uh, the people responsible there. And, and this goes to another point that's very important is just communication and, and being on a, on a good page with, with a lot of the, 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 the stakeholders, right? Because, you know, this is a human industry and people make mistakes and you, gotta, you make mistakes. Immigration will make mistakes, um, Learning, you know, it's easy when when something goes wrong to blame and to and to be aggressive and and, and to and to t take those approaches. But I think sometimes taking a more a higher ground approach and, and being more cordial uh, and and remaining and maintaining good relationships will help practitioners in the long run, right? Yeah, I, I agree 100. percent Now, one of the things that you alluded to was the great mentors that you have to work under within your firm. How important would you say it is to have a good mentor when you're starting out? I think it's absolutely important. Um, for myself, you know, I still, I'm, I'm at Steve, Stephen Muren's office, I would say at least four times a day, uh, just knocking there. And he's so gracious in the fact that, you know, even if he's busy with something, he'll always turn around from his computer and say, Will, like, okay, what is, what's your question? Um, because there's so much of this that's, you know, you can read all the operation manuals, all the program delivery updates, even, you know, look into the case law. But so much of this is through experience, right? Through, through, through the experience of other practitioners who've done hundreds and, you know, thousands of cases. And, you know, you're on your third or fourth 
or sometimes most often it's the first time doing something. Um, so, you know, if, if you try and go it alone uh, without guidance, um, you know, without consulting the, the, the experience, you're going to have, you're often going to have a disconnect. You, you can even say you can cite the law, but what happens in practice can be very different often. Let's yeah. say postgraduate work permits. That's that's one. It's a great example I'm thinking of right now. Uh, restoration to postgraduate work permits. The law was completely gray. And I'm actually going to federal court, or I, I was I was I was going to federal court on a matter. And we managed to get it resolved. We managed to get a couple federal court matters resolved on this. But you know, it really was through talking to um, other practitioners in the areas who had been there and, and and discussing it with other colleagues that we managed to come up with you know an argument in our JR and, and, and an understanding of what the policy actually means. I mean, these are things that, you know, are, are so important to when, when you deal with it, when you, when you're eventually making your applications, right? Absolutely. And there, you hit the nail right on the head. The reality is there's a huge gap sometimes between the law and practice. And yes, officers may be, you know, they can, they, you can challenge their decisions, but in practicality, if you if you don't know how to work within that gray area, um, some of the remedies are just they're just not meaningful. You know, if you want to bring someone in and there's a problem with say a work permit, for instance, like you're indi- you're indicating with the postgrad uh, program, and uh, you know there's a mistake made by the government. Well, yeah, you can you can attempt to judicial review it, but no, very few people want to sit around and wait and incur those costs. They'll just kind of have to take it back and, if possible, refile or, or explore other options. But but you're right; so much of that can be avoided just by understanding a little bit of the kind of the rules of engagement, I guess. And and mentors are, are the you know the way that you can you can get that. Now you're fortunate because you're in a firm where there's just some just some really awesome immigration lawyers. Mm-hmm. But let's say someone, let's say they start out with a firm and and they there's a downsize, which in our economy happens, and they can't find another article and and you know another, so another position, and they decide you know what I think I'm going to strike out on my own. So you have an individual who's a sole practitioner, maybe a little bit earlier than they'd want to, mm-hmm. who wants to get into immigration. What other places, what other locations, where can they access this mentorship when maybe it's not a formal, you know, a partner, in, in, you know, and while you're an associate in a firm? Mm-hmm. I, 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 that's a great question. And I think, um, I mean, it's always on the back of every young professional's mind. You know, I, I have the last office in the building. If, if, if something changes, you know, am I going to lose my office? And, you know, what happens? And then again, as a young practitioner, um, sometimes some of your bosses are busy too. So this applies as that. Um, I think the the Canadian Bar Association is amazing. Um, I think I started attending our. Uh, we have they have breakfast every month. Uh, the overseas uh, law group has breakfast every month, where where a bunch of senior practitioners come out and um, and discuss their cases and 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 their challenges and 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 the state of immigration law and provide updates on the law. Um, I've attended that since I was an Arctic student, you know, and for. It's been almost two years now. You know, I, I haven't said a word in any single meeting, right? I think actually, no one. Once Steve forced me to talk about a case that I did recently, and because I, I just didn't want to share it, but I've just sat there and soaked in. You know, be it Peter Edelman, be it um, Mira Takar, um, Steve's always Steven's always there talking about his cases. Um, but just being in that circle of, of practitioners, senior practitioners, and 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 being there to listen and soak in has been so important to. And, and they've been great about introducing me to other lawyers as well. Uh, and, I'm, and I feel comfortable calling or emailing any of them for help. Josh, uh, 
I'm blanking out now. What was Josh's Son, last name? Son. Josh Song. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so I had, I had Marina Sadai and Josh Song. Could yeah. But Josh Song's another great guy when I talk to him. Yeah. Uh, in, uh, in Calgary, uh, I mean, I, 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 re- I listen to your podcast frequently, uh, posts that, that you make. Uh, the different law firms do a lot of great blogs. Those are amazing things too, right? Because blogs, I mean, um, the, the, the practitioners that have the best blogs, uh, be it Stephen Mirren's, um, um, Raj Sharma has a great blog that he, he writes too. Um, you know, reading them and learning about their experiences and they are, they're often dissecting their cases or dissecting changes in the law. Um, and I quote from them often in my own work, right? And I'll, I'll take that and, and, and use it in, in, in my own practice. So <clears throat> I would have to say that this is the, the mentorship doesn't have to necessarily be a, a boss or a supervisor. And it's sometimes great to have an immigration lawyer outside of your own firm to act as your mentor so you can share with them some of the challenges you're having without being judged per se as to, you know, your, your competence. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand. I understand completely. That's really, really great insight. And, uh, you know, when I think about when I started, um, some of my best resources were, yes, the more seasoned, you know, well-respected, grizzled and, you know, chiseled immigration um, practitioners. But every bit as much, it was almost other lawyers who were kind of my vintage, who were also feeling their way through, who you could call and say, hey, what do you know about this? And absolutely, you would not feel judged like, boy, you don't know what you're doing. You know, you kind of have this group of people, then you collectively come together. And you mentioned the CBA. Well, with hands down, the Canadian Bar Association, our national immigration section, has got to be the single most collegial group of lawyers that I that I know, and uh, willingness to share and help one another, and really just elevate the bar. And the reality, part of the reason I decided to create this podcast in the first place, uh, was to find a way to give back in my own way for all of those lawyers who, who helped me as I was just, you know, toddling along as a, as a, as a, you know, a one or two year old uh, immigration lawyer who really didn't know a whole lot more than dealing with people on the Canada U S (laughs) border. So, um, just, just absolutely wonderful. So, all right, well, we have a little bit of an idea here of kind of what you're doing, but, um, like, where do you see your practice going? Like, are there particular areas that you want to focus in more than others within immigration? What, you know, how do you hope to grow in the future? Mm-hmm. I think, so I always start with a big, crit, of, a, of a critical um, assessment of myself. Uh, it just sort of comes to my Chinese culture. We always sort of look at what we need to improve on first, and then we can talk a bit more about what I think I'm excelling at more. Um, I'd like to improve my, my 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 business immigration practice, and I think that there is right now, especially in Vancouver, we have a lot of practitioners doing doing the administrative side and doing the the permanent residence family side. Um, but there seems to be a lack of um, of business immigration lawyers at a medium sort of junior associate to medium associate level. Um, I think a lot of it comes from just being overwhelmed at, at the fact that some of these companies are 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 asking for legal assistance and 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 dealing within that structure having to figure out how to organize you know company organize uh, employee lists for companies um and and as a junior lawyer it's hard to you know establish that initial conversation but again I've, i looked at steve and how he's been able to represent some of the top tech companies and and do a very good job at that um i want to improve my my business visitor practice my uh my nafta practice uh, i think with 
the, the, the global changes, you're going to see a lot of new trade agreements come up, and it may take a while, but those will always open up new opportunities, intercompany transfer work. Um, I hope to do a little less express entry. I don't <laughs> maybe maybe that's... Uh, <laughs> I, I saw your talk on Express Entry, and it was so good uh, at the CBA conference in uh, it was in April now, right? Was it? Or? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, in April. Um, yeah. And I was just thinking uh, when, when when you were going through some of the fact patterns, and they were so complicated, and I was like, oh, this is just, I'm just having a headache with this. I don't want to do this. And then you know you start picking up a bunch of clients to Express Entry. Like th that's probably by far the most heavy volume wise practice I have right now. And uh, you're like, you're, I'm doing the exact same thing that they were just talking about in, the, in, in, in that talk, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Express Entry, is, it's an interesting system. Um, <laughs> the, I think I, I, I kind of joked to you that it was a bit of a lottery uh, yesterday. But, uh, you know, truthfully, some, some of the reasons people get refused nowadays are, or, uh, or the incompleteness checks, uh, they, they are things, you know, no one's going to submit an absolutely perfect application, I think. But to be able to... I think we have the knowledge of knowing where all the traps are, right? And all the areas where people can go wrong. Um, you know, that that's another area. I just I, I look forward to what the to results on several of my express entry applications. I'm hoping they'll go well and, you know, the individuals land. But uh, we're, we're still waiting through the processing period. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, express entry is a nasty beast. <laughs> it is, an, is a nasty beast. And, and, the, and the problem is, on the surface, it looks so easy. Why in the world would you need to hire any mm -hmm. lawyer to help you? It's so easy. The government makes it all basically fill in its itself virtually on the, oh. on the uh, you know on the, on the MyCIC portal. You just log in. You just answer the simple questions, upload your documents, and bam, you're a permanent resident of Canada in six months. And yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's it is quite uh, quite yeah, an amazing world. It's 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 nothing like that. And I think for some reason something being online like. Maybe it's in the process of doing an online survey or whatnot. But when things are online, it's it's, it's actually easier to make a, a mistake for a client for a client if they're you know clicking through it and just okay whatever not code or two three years on paper sometimes or what you even have to type it into a form. You're always constantly you know thinking about what you're typing and, and having to take steps back here and there. With the with the, with the online system, it's easier, it's quicker in terms of submitting things. But I think it's also easier for mistakes to be made. You bet. Um, the yeah. way that it's written. Um, going back to what I want to do moving forward, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to be making, hopefully, cross my fingers. Uh, actually, it would be nice if it consented earlier, but I, I have my first uh, federal court hearing uh, set up for August. Cool. So uh, it's the first time I'm, I'm looks like I'm going to be robed up. Uh, the case is a very interesting one involving um, IRCC is actively pursuing studies uh, requirement. So there's a requirement uh, under immigration law that students who have a, a study permit actively pursue studies. Um, and this case involves a lot of issues with extrinsic evidence, um, statutory interpretation, procedural fairness. So really like uh, digging into administrative law uh, principles and, and, and really complex case law uh, on the area. So I'm very, very excited for that. Uh, I have a couple of appeals coming up. Um, in the IED, and I, I love the appeal process of preparing a, a client uh, through um, it, the way we do appeals at our offices. Every client, you know, when when they have their appeal set up, we'll we'll, we'll go with them through the list of uh, we'll, we'll we'll do a bit of a we're not we're not we're not preparing them in the sense that you know your your answer is going to be this, um, but we prepare them in a sense that they 
that we really get to know them intimately, their stories, we tell their stories. So I, I have an interesting case of a residency obligation coming up, and this individual has just had the most crazy life experience. Um, and to be able to speak with them and, 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 and dig it out and even remind them what happened during these years, what happened during these years, you almost become a biographer of an individual. And uh, I, I really enjoy that. You know, time goes by really fast when you're working on these clients' cases because you're just you're getting into their stories. I mean, I have I have enough client stories that could probably write TV dramas, and and, <laughs> and, and, and I'm sure you have even more because given you practiced many many more years. Um, but you know, if you just hear some of the craziest stories and global stories, and it makes you want to travel to these countries and to yes. to have gone through some of the things they've gone through uh, that that have, that have touched their lives and, and 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 their family tragedy and stuff like that. So that's very important, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just amazing what you learn about the world through the, you know through through the stories of the clients that you represent. It gives you, like I said, a, a whole new perspective on how good we truly do have it in Canada. You know, this is this is the best country in the world, <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's just yeah, it, it just takes having an opportunity to sit down with someone and talk about where they came from and what they went through to realize, holy cow. You know, we really do have it good here. So that's Mm -hmm. awesome. Well, Will, this has been awesome. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to come on here. I think you've inspired some people into uh, the just the wonderful world of of immigration law. And yeah, it has its challenges like all areas. But boy, when when things are going good and, and you're getting positive results for your clients, there's no better feeling. And I would I would hold it up there against anything that a person could do when you know with their law degree. Now, how if people want to uh, to to reach out to you and they've got some questions or they have got some problems, some sticky issues, they've got a refusal, uh, what's the best way for them to reach you? So uh, by email, uh, you can email me at will w i l l dot t a o at larley l a r l e e dot com. Um, I also have an immigration blog. I, we didn't Good. I was going to, that was my next thing I was going to bring up. Yes. Uh, Please talk so about I it. I do have an immigration blog, uh, vancouverimmigrationblog.com. It's been a bit of a pet project of mine uh, since uh, becoming a lawyer. Um, and actually, I was fortunate to win a, a clobby for best new law blog in Canada uh, last year, um, 2015. Um, I'm, I'm still working on it uh, constantly. I know there's, there's things I got to do more of. Um, but you know, I, I try to create that similar to Mark, your idea and, and your great work on your on your podcast to create a resource for a lot of self reps or just individuals interested in immigration. I put a lot of policy dialogue on there, and I think I've inspired a lot of conversations. So um, feel free to check it out. There's always tidbits there, always posting a tips and interesting information that self reps could use, and also individuals who are going to see their lawyer might need some some background and stuff before they go see their representative. Um, I hope that's a useful resource for uh, individuals. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I hope to see you around in Vancouver, uh, Mark. Uh, I really appreciate uh, your work and, 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 you know, the effort you're putting into this and even and being someone who's so passionate about helping others. And, and, and uh, I just, even today, preparing for our talk today, I read a bit about your background and, 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 your, and your faith and your belief. And, you know, as someone who's on the process of trying to, uh, I would say, worship God and, and, to, and to learn more about my, my, my own worldviews and, and religious beliefs. I, I, I definitely look up to you as a, as a mentor as well. So thank well, you. For- that, that means a lot, Will. I really, really appreciate it. Obviously, I, 
you know, I, I don't, I don't try to, uh, you know, to put, to put my faith too far out there, uh, you know, in any overbearing manner, but it infuses every single aspect of my life. And I would not be where I am today, not with my awesome family and my wonderful wife and even practicing law. I, I would not know. I, I don't have a clue where I would be if it wasn't for, uh, yeah, for my faith and, and, uh, believing that, you know, there's more to this, this life than just working as a lawyer. So, <laughs> so exactly. thanks so much. Exactly. I, I appreciate that. Well, once again, thanks so much. And I'll make sure to put the contact informations uh, that you've provided us within the show notes of the podcast, as well as a, a link back to your, uh, your clobby award-winning Vancouver immigration blog. And, um, understand too, that it's, it's not just, you know, individuals who are looking to kind of represent themselves, but, but, uh, those resources that you put out there are every bit as, as valuable as what I'm trying to do here on the podcast uh, for other lawyers. And so I'm definitely going to make a note to, to go and check out your blog and, and follow that because the information, um, obviously when, when we blog and when we try to provide a little bit of, uh, uh, content for, you know, for people out there. Um, it just raises our whole immigration bar. And so yeah. thank you thank for, you so for doing that. Yeah. Thank uh, you. All right. Well, thanks a lot. And, um, we'll definitely connect again soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Take care. Well, that was a great interview with Will. I really appreciated, uh, just how much time he took to prepare and uh, really he brought it like he really knocked that out of the park and uh, I know that he has a bright future ahead of him and that there are many many opportunities going to be afforded him uh, to continue to podcast and to do other things his blog is excellent and I would encourage any of you uh, that are listening to this I'll put like I said um, a copy of it or a link to it in my uh, the show notes for this episode of the uh, Canadian Immigration Podcast. But his blog, Vancouver Immigration Blog, which he identified won a 2015 Clobby for Best New Law Blog, um, is a great source. And he really goes to great lengths to, to provide significant value. And so I'd encourage you to check that out and uh, watch for Will. You know, he is going to be a force to reckon with in the future. It was great to have him here on the podcast. And I really appreciated the time that he took. All right. Well, this wraps up uh, this episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm really appreciative for all of you who listen and send me, you know, suggestions and for topics and speakers and all those kinds of things. And uh, I want to uh, express appreciation once again to all of you who listen, because if it wasn't for you, this podcast would not exist. I love doing it. I enjoy it. And as long as people find benefit from it, I will continue to do so. We have a great lineup of uh, uh, of guests that are going to be coming on the podcast here in the coming weeks. I'm really excited to have them on. And uh, the information you'll find is extremely, extremely valuable. And so I don't want to give it away, but stay tuned for uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, we've got a, a number of interviews that I've had and they're all queued up waiting to be released one every week. And so I hope you enjoyed this. And this is me, Mark Holthy signing off, wishing you all the best in your effort to navigate this crazy world of Canadian immigration law, policy, and practice. 
Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. If you would like to contribute a question for future podcasts or wish to set up a legal consultation with Mark, please visit www.ht-llp.com. Yeah.